0: Somewhere around fourth or fifth grade, I got this idea that uh, Valentine's Day could be a day for me to kind of test out if the cute girl that sat a few rows over uh, might have any interest in me. And so I devised this plan. I would take my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, Valentine's. I'm going to lay them out very intentionally. But for the cute girl that sat a couple rows over, I thought, here's what I'll do. I'll double up, right? Two cards for her. And then when she opens them up, I'll see what kind of reaction I get. Like, is she pleasantly surprised or is she repulsed, you know? And so you, you execute the plan. She opens the envelope. She pulls out the cards, and she brings them to you, and she's like, hey, I got two cards from you. What's up with that? And I'd be like, I don't know. My mom put those together. I didn't have anything to do with this process. They must have stuck together. I, I don't know. Like, even at that, at that age, you can, you can start to begin to figure out how complex relationships can be, can't we? I mean, we know that relationships are hard to navigate, and that's, that's true for the fourth grade versions of us, and it's certainly true for the adult versions of us as well. Our focus this morning is not on Valentine's Day or romantic relationships, but uh, more broadly on the relationships that God gives us as an opportunity uh, to live into His love and express His love in our world. We've been thinking together about God's invitation for us to be transformed. And one of the ways that Jesus lays us out for what that could look like is through teaching us in the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he tells those around him, but the second commandment, the second part of that is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus emphasizes strongly the importance of having a social life with God and others that actually displays God's love in the world. Now, the bottom line that we begin to, to see play out in this is that our relationships with God and others are the key way that God shares his love with the world. Through our relationships, God wants your neighbors, your coworkers, even your enemies to know that they are loved by God. And this is a significant part of why God has put the church in the world. We are intended to be a unique community in the midst of the culture we find ourselves in. We are intended to be a place, a people where God's love dwells in a unique way from the way it does in the rest of our world. We, as we said last week, are Christ's body, his presence on earth today to love people in the way that he loves and so as we think about spiritual formation by unpacking some of these ideas, one of the things that we realize is that spiritual formation, our, our growing in Christ-likeness, it's not an individual endeavor. It's not just about us and our relationship with God and, and us going to heaven someday, but it, it naturally has this overflow and this communal ramification. And I know we talk about this and think about this a lot, but our relationships, our action, the way that we speak about and to each other, are all vital parts of our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbors. And so, as we think about this, we have to recognize that relationships are difficult. It's hard to uh, maintain strong relationships over decades. Some of you, as we gather this morning, you can think about friends who you have known for years and years and years, and those friendships are strong. And some of you, as you gather this morning, if you, if you go down that, that trail, you'll think about friendships you had, people that you were close to, that for one reason or another you're not as close to anymore. I mean, if we stop to think about relationships long enough, we can think about the relationships that have built us up, and we can think about the relationships that have torn us down. We've heard people say that they love us, but we've seen that love seem to, to dissipate when they don't agree with us. We've heard people say they love us, and then when things aren't going well, we've seen that love sort of disappear. We've heard people say they love us, and then when it requires something, it's no longer there. Like, we've experienced this sort of love, and we've perpetuated this sort of love, a sort of love that's based on consumption, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I love you, but what's in it for me? I, I love you as long as investing in this relationship has returns that make it worthwhile in, in my life, right? I mean, that sort of transactional love is pervasive in our culture and in our lives, and it's destructive. It's not what builds us up in Christlikeness. It's, it's what uh, makes it harder to picture what Christ's love really looks and feels like, because we've seen the opposite of it so often. But the good news this morning is that there is another way of love. As uh, the gospel, or, the, or as First John begins to talk about this love and, and, and lay out for us what it looks like, here's what the scriptures say. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, That we might live through him. So what what Jesus invites us into, what, what Jesus teaches us and shows us about God's love, is that God's love is not built on a transaction. Now sometimes we make nice little formulas in the church, right? If you believe this and do this, then God likes this and you'll get this. But that's not the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is not a, a love that is to be consumed. It's a love that, that, that follows after the Greek word of kenosis, which is the self-emptying kind of love. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't, he doesn't come and, and gather up these people to love them and build this empire. What Jesus does is he comes and he loves in a way that actually costs him his life. He lays down his life as a demonstration of how great the love of God is. Now, think about that for a moment. How How polar opposite those sorts of things are. A love built on transactions and a love of Jesus that revolves around the very Son of God laying down his life. Not so that he might get something in return, but so that the love of God might overflow into every heart willing to receive it. Those are different sorts of things. And we're a mixture of both of them, right? And it's important for us to begin to do that work of, of untangling some of that if we really want uh, the love of Jesus to be seen and known through our lives. One of the people that, is, that has always fascinated me as I thought about this, this self-emptying kind of love and, and always been an example of this kind of love in our world is, is Mother Teresa. And, and we can think about Mother Teresa, and one of, the, I think, the first impulses that comes into my mind when, when I think about her, her actions and her life and her ministry is, yeah, that, that seems so wild. I mean, it's, it's over there. It's in, it's in a whole other level. It doesn't seem very relatable to my life. Now, she spent a good portion of her life ministering in India among a group of people that, that, that their culture, their world told them was untouchable, not, not worthy of love. Not, not worthy of, of touching and caring for. And so a whole group of people were, were cast aside. And, and as she looked at her culture and her world, she said, that's not the heart of Jesus and that's not the love of Jesus. I'm going to invest my life in loving these people even though I may not get anything in return. But the other thing that I think is fascinating about her is that she got it. She got that this might seem crazy to other people, and this might seem far off and distant and unrelatable. And if you look at quotes by Mother Teresa over and over again, you'll see that, that she's encouraging people to do the things that she's doing right where they're at. Right? She's encouraging people to, to love and to, to empty themselves in love, but to do it in their relationship with their neighbor or their coworker. She She gets it. One of the things that uh, she says is, or said is that uh, not all of us can do great things but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. what What I especially love about this is that I think as the church, as Christians, as people of God, we get really twisted in our understanding of what success is as the people of God. I mean, for us, the, the, the pathway to success is growth, it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's growing and adding and building, right? That's what success is, though you won't find that version of success anywhere in scriptures, right? The, the, the God at the center of our worship is a God who didn't build an empire but died on a cross, abandoned by most of those who were closest to them. Like, success, if we're really following after Jesus, is different. And what happens, I think, when our, our mindset is greatness, growth, build, big, all of these sorts of things is that we, we miss out the heart of the gospel and part of what Mother Teresa is encouraging us to think about. We can do small things with great love. I think that's what it means to be a good neighbor. I think that's what it means to, to love our neighbors as ourselves in the way that Jesus invites us into. And it's essentially what Jesus lays out for his disciples, on the night before his arrest, he's, he's gathered around the table with those, uh, those people who he's invested in most closely. And as a part of that gathering, he breaks bread. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. He, he pours out wine and he said, this is like my very life being poured out. The disciples didn't really have a lens to understand that at the time, but in the coming days, they would come to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about and doing. But another thing that he tells them around the table that night is that he, he has a new work for them in a sense. He has a new commandment for them. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's a profound kind of love. It's a love not built on consumption or transaction, it's a love built on, on kenosis, of, of emptying ourselves, of, of laying down our time, our energy, our gifts, not so that we get something in return, but so that God's love is tangibly felt by somebody around us, right? Jesus wants his disciples to remember this, and he emphasizes this in some of his last moments with them. Now, this is built on something, though, isn't it? I mean, the, the gospel of John tells us that God is love. That's, that's who God is. And if we don't understand that, then it's nearly impossible to live into the greater love that he's encouraging his disciples and us to live into. The, the love that comes from God is a love that is intended to work. It's intended to, to actually do something tangible in our world and in our relationships. And I think it works at a few different levels. One of the things that God's love does, one of, the, one of the ways that God's love works is to make us whole. It's hard for us to, to love ourselves by pouring ourselves out when we have needs that we're trying to get other people to fill constantly, right? And we all have needs. We, we, we all need people to, to boost us up and hold us up and encourage us and do so, those sorts of things. Those are parts of, of healthy relationships. But we live our lives dependent on other people to, to make us feel value and worthy and successful then it's hard for us to ever get to the point where we're living from a place of self-sacrifice, a kenosis, emptying ourselves in love. And so why is it so important that we, we stand on this foundation that, that God is love? It's because it makes us whole. It, it gives us a, a value and an identity that, that's rooted not in what's happening around us or what someone else says about us, but it's, it's rooted in the very gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God so loved you, you were worthy, you were valuable enough, right, that God did this. And when we really allow that gift to identify us, when we allow that gift to to be our primary place of worth, it changes things. It changes what we live for and and, and what we live from. It it makes us whole. That's one one of the things that God's love works to do. But another thing that that God's love works to do is to to free us to live authentically. When we stand on the foundation of God's love and, and we find our value and our worth and our purpose in that, then it allows us to take off so many of the masks that we wear as we navigate our lives, right? So many of the the things that we do so that we look good or some other people look at us and say, well, that person's doing really well or they're successful or all of that pressure that we feel to, to perform for other people, a lot of that begins to slip away. We're not living for those things anymore. Those are not our metrics of success. We're loved by God. And no matter what happens around us, come hell or high water, right? We are still loved by God. Our foundation, our identity is there. And now from that place, we can live authentically. We can be who we are without trying to impress or, or, or put on some, some facade that other people are going to, to, to see and respect. We don't have to earn people's love because we're content in the love that we have in God. God's love frees us to live authentically. I think our, 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 our world is desperate for that sort of authenticity too, right? Right? In a world of, of social media influencers and, and all of the stuff that we see around us, I think our, our world is desperate for something that's real and true. And the church should be, should be that, right? It should be a place where people can find something that's, that's real and true, that's authentic, because we haven't had to, to, to wear masks, and in God's love, we can take those things off. Well last week, uh, as we thought about the strength that God's given, God gives us. Uh, we built out of Romans 12 as we thought about that and the reality that that God gives all of us a role to play. We all have something to contribute. We all have a purpose in this, this body that God has given to the world. But as Paul is unpacking what that looks like, for us to to be a people, offering together the, the, the gifts and the strengths that we have, he, in Romans 12, he points to this, this sincere kind of love, he says, that plays out, right? If, if God's love works to make us whole, and if God loved, God's love works to, to free us to live with authenticity, then it has an impact, right? It, that, that love overflows very naturally. And, and I think it looks a lot like what we, what we saw last week in Romans 12. Romans uh, 12, starting in verse 9, it says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, Paul, as he's, he's laying these these ideas out. I mean, he's really constructing something incredibly practical, isn't he? I mean, as we, as we live as the people of God, I think one of the things that can happen sometimes is we get so distracted or we get so pulled in so many different ways that, that we lose what is just really simply at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of what it means to be the church, to be God's people. But as Paul begins to, to paint what it looks like for us to, to live in sincere love, he lays out all of these practical things. Think about in our world today, what would it, what would it look like for, for us as the church to love from the center of who we are? To not fake love, to, to, to not love in a transactional way, I love you when you love me and like me and agree with me, but, but to love even when it costs us something. What would the impact of that be for us as the church? What would it look like for us to to practice a sincere love by by running from dear life from what's evil and holding on to what's good? What would it look like for us to love by being good friends who love deeply, who practice coming in second, who don't quit in hard times but pray all the harder, to be people who, who love by helping those who have needs, who love by being inventive in hospitality? to love by being people who bless our enemies rather than cursing them, who love by laughing with those who are happy and sharing tears with those who are down, who love by getting along with each other, who love by not being conceited, but by instead making friends with anybody, especially a person who's considered nobody, who love by not trying to be the great somebody, who love by refusing to hit back, to love by discovering the beauty inherent in everyone and who love by not insisting on getting even. I mean, this is what Romans 12 is encouraging us to do. Think about, think about that. What would it look like for the church in America to be known by such things, right? At the national prayer breakfast uh, this week, I don't know if you caught any of that uh, commentary in the news. It's very possible that you did, right? One of the things emphasized is that uh, we should love our enemies. And our president stands up after that and says, I don't really agree with that. But Jesus and Paul seem to emphasize that pretty strongly, right? The church in America is known for a particular set of ideas and beliefs. It's, it's not known, I, I think, probably by what we see here at work in Romans 12. And I think it's a challenge to us, church. Like, Are, are we willing to love sincerely? Are we willing to, to love by emptying ourselves? right? If we do, it'll begin to look like these things. And, and more deeply over time in our relationships, it will continually look like these things. And to the degree that we do that, I think that's the degree to which we have something prophetic to say to our world, right? When our, our, our world around us is saying, you know what, relationships are hard, we're just going to stick with the people who look like us and act like us and believe like us and, 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 and who like us. And then we at the church, we say, well, we'll do the same thing, right? We don't have anything alternative to offer the world with that sort of witness. As the church, we have to be people willing to lay down our lives for others, and the world needs to see it. The world needs to see that God's love works to enable us to love well, love in the church and love through the church has got to be different if we want God's love to be seen through us. And I I think if we stand on that foundation of God's love, it gives us the place to stand from. It gives us this, this place where we understand our value and our worth in God. We don't have to chase success in all of these different ways or all these different spaces. Instead, we can just simply say, God, where are you at work? Where are you leading us? Who are you leading us to be? We can trust that God is still living and active and has a, a purpose for us as we live as his people. And we can live open-handed and just say, God, how, how do you want to use my life? How do you want to use my church? And when we do that, success looks different. But we shouldn't kid, it, kid ourselves that this is hard. Relationships are hard. And to do relationships like Jesus is even harder. Harder. It's hard to love your enemies, right? It's hard to to keep working when when you disagree with somebody. The easiest thing often looks like something different. It, It looks like something other than the way that Jesus loved and lived, but we feel ourselves getting tugged in those ways. So the invitation this morning is to stand on God's love in a way that actually transforms our relationships. And, that might seem overwhelming this morning. I think for many of us, we often think about these, these bigger things that we need to do or be a part of. And I, and I wonder this morning if it's not helpful, if perhaps there isn't a, isn't a, a prophetic word in, in what we hear from Mother Teresa. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. I, I think this morning as we gather in this space, it's not hard to think about relationships in our lives that perhaps aren't, aren't in a space where we think God wants them to be. We can think about uh, friendships that have been fractured. We can think about spaces where we've struggled to forgive or mend. And we can think about people we, we haven't reached out to or perhaps we've sort of distanced ourselves up because maybe they think differently than us. Maybe they vote differently than us, and we've just sort of scooted ourselves away instead of investing in those relationships. I wonder this morning, what is a small thing you can do this week in great love? What's a a small action step you can take to begin to, 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 at least to the degree that it depends on you, have peace in your relationships in the way that God intends? We don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to be paralyzed. We can take a step this week, even a small one, and trust that God will meet us in the middle of our relationships and use them. I think that small step can lead to bigger things. I think when we begin to take this seriously and practice, it grows on itself as we live in God's love. And then what happens is that God's love increasingly dwells in each of us. And then we, as a church together, we bear more fruit because we've practiced this stuff. And so how is God calling you to practice this week? What small thing can you do with great love to mend a relationship, to begin a relationship, to to, to invest in the people around you in a way that honors God and makes space for God's love to be known and seen right here and right now? I wanna pray, and as part of that prayer, I want you to reflect a little bit on what a small step might look like for you this week. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you this morning that you are love and that we are loved. God, as we gather into this space, uh, we, we bring with us all kinds of baggage. God, all, all kinds of perhaps hurts or disappointments, all kinds of, of stresses or challenges. And, and God, I think if we're honest with, with you and each other, a lot of times we dictate or we, we, we determine how our life is going based on those things. Our stress uh, overwhelms us, God. We live from a place of, of, of trying to get back to, to even instead of living from your love. So this morning, I wonder where healing might happen in our lives if we would just simply remember that you are love and you love us. And we don't have to earn it. We, we don't have to do all the right things, say all the right things, God. That's a gift that you give us. That's ours because of Jesus. So God, this morning, may we, may we first and foremost just cling to your love that's ours, which gives us value and worth that tells us of our significance and purpose. God, you are love and we are loved. Thank you. But God, we know this morning that the gift of your love is not intended to stop with us. And as hard as it is, God, may you help us to think about a space in our lives this week where your love can overflow. God, what's a small step? What's a person? Who's a person that you might be calling us to reach out to this week, God? Help us to reflect on how you might might want us to respond to your word today.